Well, hello. Uh, this is version two of this episode, and it's now Sunday. The last segment is about the Optus data breach. This is a fast-moving story, and some of what I said on Saturday when I recorded that segment is already out of date. So I've added a bit at the end to correct that. If you want to listen to just that correction, scroll ahead 52 minutes and yeah, two seconds. And while I'm here... A quick apology for how scratchy my voice sounds in this episode. That's my fault. I missed an audio setting and it's pretty much impossible to fix. Look, it's bearable, but not up to my usual standard. Sorry. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, hackers, drug references and Donald Trump. Saturday, the 24th of September 2022, as the world, and in particular the UK, emerges from the period of mourning for Queen Elizabeth II, regular service is resumed. By which I mean it's the usual mix of the stupid and the bizarre. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Let's just get on with it. This is the 9pm trickle-down containers of hackers and grief. I want to start this episode by reading you a tweet from Bristol Twink, uh, whose actual Twitter handle is VerseBristTwink. Uh, so you know he's versatile? Just uh, good to know. He says, quote, The gay fetish event I went to last night had a minute's silence at eight o'clock in memory of the Queen. I'm not even joking. And when I saw that, I thought everyone, whether they're a monarchist or a republican or neither or both or whatever, We've all been processing the death of one of the 20th, uh, 20th century's great figures, like her or not, uh, in our own way. And uh, I've been following a Twitter account called Grievewatch, which has uh, brought to us, I, I think, obviously, in a very serious and uh, respectful way, some of the... Uh, well, some of the wide-ranging ways in which uh, people have marked the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, uh, Queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Queen of Australia, etc., etc. For example, Channel 4 in the UK, uh, on the day of her funeral, showed no advertising for the whole day. Uh, at Bolton Abbey in the UK, the traffic cones... Uh, were all in mourning. They were painted black rather than day glow orange, which kind of reduces their effectiveness, I suppose. A woman on BBC television said that she was actually scheduled to be the birthing partner for her pregnant daughter, who could give birth at any time, uh, but this woman pulled out in order to queue up to see the Queen lying in state at Westminster Hall, which... Kind of this interesting, isn't it? Uh, for that woman, uh, the, the death of the Queen was more important than the birth of her own grandchild. Guinea Pig Awareness Week on Facebook announced that it would change the date. Uh, Guinea Pig Awareness Week had been scheduled for 
the week of the funeral, the week just gone, but in fact now Guinea Pig Awareness Week will not happen until this coming Monday, the 26th through to the 30th of September. Uh, so that's good. Kit Kat, the chocolate bar from Nestle, changed their profile picture uh, to be in black and white, not red and white as it normally would be. Um, chocolate going into mourning. There were plenty of uh, food-based uh, grief methods. Uh, in Norwich, a Starbucks uh, put a sign behind the till saying no upselling to respect our queen. So people could order whatever they they would usually order from Starbucks, but out of respect to the queen, they wouldn't suggest, you know, would you like a large one? Would you like a muffin with that? I mean, it's a sacrifice, giving up, like, the suggestion of a muffin. Did the queen like muffins? I don't know. A few uh, a few places decided to actually create culinary tributes to Her Majesty the Queen. In Sydney, a cafe by the name of Bar Luca created the Mamburger, M-A-apostrophe-A-M-B-U-R-G-E-R. The Mamburger, based on a hamburger, obviously, consisted of a patty of venison and wild boar, vintage cheddar cheese, caramelised onion and cranberry, Branston pickle, for another British touch, crispy fried leek, and uh, a BL milk bun. I don't know what BL stands for in that context. Do I even care? Anyway, that was $19. The National Press Club of Australia in Canberra went all out with their mam burger which consisted solely of a venison patty. I see the theme here. Cucumber, iceberg lettuce and cranberry sauce. So venison and cranberry sauce, okay, they, that's acceptable. And two different kinds of extremely bland green vegetables. That was only $15, so... Pity the journalists in Canberra. Looks nice in the photo. Uh, as always, dear listener, I've linked to everything I mention on the podcast website at the9pmedic.com. A number of people around the UK painted portraits of Her Majesty on the side of garbage skips. She would have loved that. Uh there are plenty of others. Go go to Twitter and have a look at Grieve Watch to see so many of these. Uh, some people, though, thought it was worth cashing in. That, that whole queue, queuing up to see the Queen's coffin lying in state at Westminster Hall. Uh, the queue at one point was, was eight kilometres long, 25 hours to be in queue. Uh, so it was all well organised um, so that you could keep your place in the queue. Uh, people were given uh, wristbands with a serial number on them uh, so you could, you know, nip off, grab a bite to eat, have a bit of a nap, have a piss, have an enormous big royal shit in honour of the Queen and come back to your same place in the queue. But people 
were trying to sell those wristbands on eBay for up to £70,000, would you believe, until eBay decided, yeah, that's not a thing. They actually have a, um, a policy against selling tickets to anything on eBay, and I suppose this is a ticket. Not everyone really wanted the, this full drama. A Telegraph co- uh, columnist, that is uh, a columnist for the newspaper, The Telegraph in the UK, not not a person who who distributes their, their columns by telegraph. Oh, dear. Uh, Alison Pearson's her name. She had a bit of a win. She said, why not have the minute silence on the day of the funeral? Everyone was having dinner at 8pm. Amidst otherwise immaculate planning, it struck an off note. Everyone was having dinner at 8pm. That's right, Alison. You're individual experience is representative of the entirety of humanity. Uh, Dear, whoever runs the Grieve Watch account uh, says, sorry that taking a single minute of your evening to respect Her Majesty's lifetime of service was slightly inconvenient for you. But Alison Pearson wasn't having any of that. I have been giving morning, noon and night to respect our beloved Queen's service and will be doing so tomorrow again. It was a bad moment for the silence. Poor Alison. Her dinner ruined. Her views um, wouldn't have gone down well on Mumsnet, the, the big... Mother's website, Mum of Teens 4, asked, what is okay on the day of the funeral? Do you think it would be okay, you know, because the the funeral was on a Monday, which is traditionally washing day in Britain, do you think it would be okay to do my washing and hang it out tomorrow, the day of the Queen's State funeral, if I stick to blacks? Like, <laughs> good heavens, hanging out coloured clothing on the washing line is disrespectful, but Rumby Pumby on, on Mum's Net says, absolutely not. How could you even consider hanging out washing on the day our Queen is buried? You are acting as if life goes on, as if a whole world hasn't just come to a halt. Ridiculous. I don't know whether that was entirely serious, do you? Meanwhile, and I'm not sure which... Uh, uh, British pharmacy this was at, uh, but uh, they had a sign up normally that Viagra, the, the gentleman's stiffness aid tablet, uh, is available without prescription, but they had a, a sign up on that saying, no, closed in memory of Queen Elizabeth II. We will be closed on Monday, 19th of September 2022. So no stiffies for Her Majesty. It... <sighs> Well, she's the stiff, right? She's the one being buried. Oh, dear. Continuing uh, the sexual theme on Grindr, WankFun39 changed their uh, profile picture to the Union Jack flag flying at half-mast. There's another dick joke in there, but I'll leave that one up to you. Uh, But the one that really... Really, like I should say that apparently on Grinder, quite in the UK at least, uh, quite a few people did uh, change their profile pictures to patriotic imagery. 
There's a joke in there about queens too, isn't there? I'll, I'll let you do that one yourself. The one for me, though, uh, related to the London gay uh, sex on premises venue, we call them spas or saunas, pleasure drome, uh, to quote Pink News, uh, to avoid losing its title as, quote, the only gay venue in the UK that never closes, Pleasure Drome announced this week that it would remain open on the day of the funeral. So sex was okay, drinking was okay, but as a tribute, the sauna wouldn't be playing any music and the cinema, instead of showing porn, would live stream the Queen's funeral. Uh, yes, that's right. You can, you can have... You can have sex to a live stream of the Queen's funeral uh, and to quote the management of Pleasure Drome, guests at the venue are invited to join us in a toast to His Majesty King Charles III. Drinks, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, including champagne, will be provided at the cost of management. Long live the King. God. Tuesday was uh, an essential polling Tuesday here. The uh, essential polls come out every second Tuesday, usually. And I was interested to see that people's opinions on how much media coverage there'd been of the... uh, the royal funeral and the uh, accession of King Charles III um, and such, you know, that that interest level, the media coverage, was, was broadly speaking, about right. Um, obviously, uh, people of a more conservative political bent were, were happier with it than those on the more progressive side of politics. Uh, older people uh, were happier with it than younger people. Uh, women are more happy with it than men. That's always been a kind of gender difference in interest in royal news. So I guess that was about right. I want to say for for the people who complained loudly and at length that there was too much of it, you don't have to fucking all watch it. You can do something else. You can watch something else. Streaming services, YouTube, right? You've got the world's fucking entertainment at your fingertips and you whinge about one particular, oh, I don't know. Anyway, you didn't have to watch it. I didn't watch much of it. I just plodded along. One other interesting figure in the polling was uh, that for the support of King Charles III as Australia's head of state. The question put, should King Charles III be Australia's head of state? Yes or no? And it's straight down the line, 50% for, 50% against. So that's interesting in the context of uh, Labor, the Labor government in Australia having a policy of uh, moving towards Australia becoming in a, a, a republic. They have a, an assistant minister for the republic, Matt Thistlethwaite. Uh, they're not going to have a referendum on this in the first term, uh, but you know, if and when they have a second term in government, that's uh, part of the plan. 
Waleed Ali, who, as uh, Australians will know, is uh, one of the presenters of The Project on Channel 10. He's also a, a lecturer in politics at Monash University. He has some podcast. He was thinking about this the other day. He said, look, you know, we, we, we may go towards, you know, a monarchy or a republic, but a republic isn't something Australia uh, has traditionally had. It would be a brand new thing for us. Shouldn't we replace the monarchy, something traditional, something whose strength uh, is that it's above day-to-day party politics, in theory? What if we did something else? And he had a modest proposal. What if, instead of a monarch or a president, we had an Australian elder? a recognised Indigenous elder appointed as our head of state for life. This figure already comes anchored in a long history and a culture brimming with ceremony. But one of the great things about some Indigenous ceremonies, like, say, welcomes to country, is that they're often informal. This extraordinary mix of ceremony and informality captures something unique and charming about the Australian character, Indigenous and not. We could even call our elder uncle or auntie. And when our auntie dies, deep rituals of mourning would already exist, ready for us to embrace as a nation. Obviously, this office is racially closed, but so is the monarchy, which is always going to be white and doesn't even extend to white Catholics. It's also undemocratic, which replicates precisely one of the monarchy's virtues. Sure, I can see problems. For example, how would the elder be chosen from among the hundreds of First Nations that we have? Does it rotate in a predetermined way? Our head of state has to be an apolitical figure, confining itself to speaking on areas of near total agreement. Would the elder face too much pressure to become an activist? I admit it's rough and has a lot of issues to work through. Uh, Yeah, it does. Quite a few issues to work through. Uh, Although, in uh, Dr Ali's defence, because he does have a PhD, something to do with terrorism, I think, Um, not not committing it, although he is a Muslim. Uh, Oh, 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 no, I don't. don't. There will be people who take that out of context. I don't mean it, of course. he's. So it is a bit rough. Walid Ali does admit that. Uh, there's, he argues actually um, either about seven minutes in that piece on the project, lots of background, uh, or in a column in the Nine Facts uh, papers. I've linked to them both. Uh, if you you know would like to listen to it or watch him or read it, yeah, I don't know that replacing one symbolic unelected figurehead with another is really going to solve the problem, particularly uh, as he admits himself. (laughs) I know it's only, you know, if if they're Indigenous, it's only one race, uh, but, you know, it's already only one race. I thought, no, no, I think the idea is that we improve things and uh, much uh, as recognition of our Indigenous uh, uh, people who were here before you know, white folk like me were, is a good thing. I I don't see this as being a particular uniting force amongst people from all of the other places in the world uh, who now call Australia home, cue the song. Um, 
and he's a Republican. So Ray Publia, oh, I don't know. I I too have thought bubbles. If you follow me on Twitter, and many of you do, uh, you know that some of my thought bubbles are really quite appalling. I don't get to write them out in the newspaper or do seven-minute television segments about it, and that's a good thing. Oh, well. Before uh, I leave the... Uh, the topic of the monarchy, well, actually, not so much the topic of the monarchy, uh, but the topic of the United Kingdom. Um, uh, the United Kingdom Parliament, uh, well, its government, uh, released a budget that's not a budget um, this week because if it was a budget, uh, the appropriate budget responsibility office or whatever it's called in the, the UK would have to kind of analyse it. But some announcements were made uh, including this one from Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, who is the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, that is, the Treasurer. Mr Speaker, this brings me to the cap on bankers' bonuses. A strong UK economy has always depended on a strong financial services sector. We need global banks to create jobs here, invest here, and pay taxes here in London, in London, not in Paris, not in Frankfurt, and not in New York. All the bonus cap did was to push up the basic salaries of bankers or drive activity outside Europe. It never capped, it never capped total remuneration. So let's not here and sit here and pretend otherwise. It didn't cap. Uh, uh, total remuneration. So as a consequence of this, Mr Speaker, we are going to get rid of it. And to reaffirm, and to reaffirm, and to reaffirm, we're going to get rid of it. And to reaffirm, and to reaffirm the UK's status as the world's financial services centre, I will set out an ambitious package of regulatory reforms later in the autumn. Now, the thing I find curious about that is that he said himself that this cap they had on executive bonuses, right? So executive salary, this bonuses that when they brought the cap in on the bonuses, all that happened is the base salary went up because the bonuses had gone down and the executives were paid the same anyway. So that probably isn't why the financial services industry left London. I suspect, and I'm no expert in these matters, but I suspect it might have had more to do with Brexit. So if the salary cap well, the bonus cap didn't didn't reduce overall payments when it went in. Why will it increase overall payments to the executives when they take it away? Like you see what I'm saying here? It's it's inconsistent. The logic isn't. 
Anyway, he's the Chancellor of the Exchequer of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I have a link to a video which I recommend you watch. Uh, it is of Quasi Kwarteng um, at Her Majesty's funeral. And according to this tweet from former Labor SPAD, whatever that is, SPAD, on Twitter, uh, that person says, I was 20 years in the rock and roll business and I know high when I see it. This guy is coked up to his dilated eyeballs. He may be. I, I am not one to judge. But if you have a look at the video, it is clear that... He is not in exactly the same frame of mind as he was when he was delivering that speech in the Houses of Parliament. That's all I'll say. Go and have a look. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, who uh, Channel 9 presenters may uh, may like to know, is, is Liz Truss. Uh, she's going to be uh, urging world leaders to join Britain in more tax cuts, uh, more trickle-down economics. Uh, She's going to try and get Joe Biden on her side, even though Joe Biden has said that he's sick and tired of trickle-down economics, which he claimed had never worked. And he's right. Uh, But in her speech to the United Nations, Liz Truss reckons uh, the free world must prioritise economic growth to deny authoritarian states like Russia the chance to manipulate the global economy somehow. So not only has uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II departed the world stage, and particularly Britain, so it seems has any sort of brain. Good luck, Britain. Good luck to you all. Before I leave uh, the topic of uh, the United Kingdom for the final time today, I should mention that uh, in about four weeks' time, uh, my special guest will be once again David F. Porteous on, on the tube from the Edinburgh in the Scotland uh, and uh, he'll have had a chance to process what's happened in the UK. It might be, uh, I reckon, might be an interesting conversation. Of course, it will be an interesting conversation. Uh, so have a bit of a think about uh, what you might like to talk uh, talk about with David F. Porteous. Uh, but the next episode coming up uh, next week. John Birmingham, he of uh, his his private little newsletter, Alien Sideboob, of his many books. He's been on the pod quite a few times before. He's one of our most uh, frequent guests. Anyway, I'm recording with John Birmingham next week. So if you're a supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic for that episode, please let me know by midday Friday. That's midday Australian Eastern Standard Time this Friday, the 30th of September. Uh, And, well, I'll, I'll get the podcast out that day or the day after. So it'll be fun with John Birmingham. Of course, we've still got more episodes to come uh, apart from them in the spring series. Uh, this episode... I want to say thank you to uh, the people who make this podcast possible. You, dear listener, you, the generous 
listener and supporter who who this week is named Simon Harris. Simon is uh, a regular contributor. Thank you, Simon. And this week he emptied his entire PayPal account and sent me everything he had in PayPal. So many thanks for seven dollars and forty six cents. That's that was lovely. Thank you, Simon Harris. Uh, and uh, thank you also <laughs> to all the people who pledged their support to the 9pm Spring Series 2022. I have been listing you in batches in the special guest episodes. I'll continue to do that. You're all listed on the website, except for those of you who didn't want to be listed on the website. Thank you so much. If you would like to join the generous people who make this podcast possible. And you can do that in a small amount, in a large amount. Uh, it's entirely up to you. You can you can do it with no amount at all. You can just say, I enjoy the podcast, or you can tell your friends about it, which is good. The more listeners, the better. But if you would like to do it with dollars, go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. That's the 9pmedict.com slash tip. Elephant stamp time! <coughs> elephant stamp time. In many episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And today I am awarding one of the four of them. And the first one goes to Donald Trump, former President of the United States, who on Fox News the other day, uh, spoke at length about this whole thing to do with classified documents, supposedly, well, that the FBI seized at his Florida home, Mar-a-Lago. So let me ask you this question, because I, I think this is the next logical question, because the president of the United States, you, unlike, say, Hillary Clinton in her case, right. a president has the power to declassify. Correct. Okay. You had said on Truth Social a number of times you did de declassify. I did declassify, yeah. Okay. W is there a process? What was your process to declassify? It doesn't have to be a process, as no. I understand it. it. You know, there's different people say different right. things, but as I understand, there doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. and. There doesn't have to be a process. There can be a process, but there doesn't have to be. You're the president. You make that decision. So when you send it, it's declassified. We, I declassified everything. Now, I declassified things, and we were having a lot of problems with NARA. You know, NARA uh, is a radical left group of people running that thing. And when you send documents over there, I would say there's a very good chance that a lot of those documents will never be seen again. There's also a lot of speculation because of what they did, the severity of the FBI coming and raiding Mar-a-Lago. Were they looking for the Hillary Clinton emails that were deleted, but they are around someplace? Were they looking for the wait, wait, spying on Trump? You had it. Did, did no, no, they may be saying, they uh, may have thought that it was in did. there. Okay. And a lot of people said the only thing that would give the kind of severity that they showed by actually coming in and raiding with many, many people is the Hillary Clinton deal, the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, or, I mean, there are, there are a number of things, the spying on Trump's campaign. So they spied on my campaign. There's a, there's a lot going on there, isn't there? Um, he can declassify things just if he thinks he has, 
telepathic declassification. Um, for some reason, the FBI would be looking for Hillary's deleted emails at Mar-a-Lago. Aaron Ruper has uh, tweeted that entire thing, that entire interview. It is just deranged. So an elephant stamp for Donald Trump. Uh, we remain in America for number two, uh, and a clip from a program called Awaken America, so you can imagine how rational that is, and General Michael Flynn, who was indeed an American general, now much beloved uh, of the conspiracy theorists. Uh, here he is with a few thoughts, I guess we could call them. They are trying to change the very essence of our DNA. And there are people working on this. That's one of them. You've all know a Harari, which, which is just not going to work. So what do they do? They're going to basically put components of robotics into us. Wow. And that's one of the other issues that they are looking at. So, you know, everything from you, you see the robotic arms, which can help somebody or robotic legs, which can help somebody who lost their legs or somebody who lost their movement of their arm or, or an arm to be able to do things and to live like a normal life. But those are that's different than what these guys are trying to do. They're actually trying to change inside the internals wow. of something that is unchangeable, unmovable, immovable, because they're designed by someone other than them. And, and thank God uh, that God designed us the way we are. I should uh, mention, too, that uh, General Flynn says the people who are doing all this are the globalists, which, uh, as you may remember, is code for the Jews. He's not well, is he? Elephant stamp for General Michael Flynn. Uh, we go to New Zealand for the next one. Um, I haven't been very shouty today, have I? Only a little bit. I'm kind of in a relaxed mood. Just cruising along. Anyway, uh, for number three, we go to New Zealand and Don McDonald, who I suspect in full is Donald McDonald. He is a candidate this time for Mayor of the City of Wellington, capital of New Zealand. And uh, here is, uh, I'm going to read in full his his little statement Um for why he should be Mayor of Wellington. Our truth, all but whole truth. My principal place of residence is in the Wellington City Council area. Free Dom, as in capital D-O-M for Dom. Three Dom gratuitous anti-democracy gossip blocks biography ads. Don anti-growth. Government brags grow, thrive, tie... What? Grow, thrive, die. Road certain disaster. Oh, road to certain disaster. Okay, he's obviously trimming down his words. Tidying up end of world, Don Critical regulates get right with Jesus. Put aside redoubled longevity. World disobeys eternal laws. Science bites my ass. Zeta counter series assumes decline. Starry self-luminous sky is hydrogen helium suns. Supernova collapse creates life elements, oxygen, blood, CA3PO42, calcium 3, I don't know what, calcium 3, 
phosphorus oxygen four, but two of them, I don't know. Limited resource, throw away rubbish, shorten annually, harmonic, a half plus a third plus a fourth, depleted infinite cupboard, 1.5 plus two times a quarter plus four times an eighth equals billions times five. You getting this? Zeta quarter plus ninth plus sixteenth plus twenty-fifth equal pi squared on six shows greedy demon selfish parking shouldn't. Repair planet, planet, chop population over two, virus, car over four, flights over eight, and alcohol six movie concert rudetainment noise. Beginning thereafter, micro-starvation, freeze, population decrease, survive. Spin-out dollars, cuts. The wages of sin is death. Bible knows your speeding mistake. Pay the hurt. Exhausted, where's decades coal heap? Gold mine, supermarket, discounted energy, water, food, poverty, phone com. Allowance viewers, housing. M0277. Oh, that's his phone number. Uh, authorised uh, at MC Don Ute Self. Oh, that's his Twitter handle, presumably. 16.181 Daniel. Oh, his address. And then campaign 2013-16-1719-20-22. Again, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a bank account number? I'll read that again. <laughs> no, I won't. That's John uh, Newton McDonald. Our truth, all but whole truth. Uh, click through. There's a picture. Elephant stamp of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's excellent. And finally, uh, the fourth elephant stamp of approval goes to the United States Space Force. It has released its official song. Its title is Semper Supra, which is Latin for always above. And here it is. And if that doesn't make you feel like launching yourself into the sun, I don't know what does. Thank you to the United States Space Force. An elephant stamp for you. Good evening. Optus is in meltdown tonight as it tries to contain the damage from one of the worst cyber attacks Australia has ever seen. It's so serious the big banks have been alerted and Australia's international spy network is hunting the culprits. The personal information of millions of past and present customers has been stolen, every one of them now vulnerable. That's probably overstating it a bit, but yes, the data breach at Optus, Australia's second largest telco, 
is one of the biggest data breaches ever in Australia, possibly the biggest. Uh, I just don't want to, you know, say it and then have someone say, oh, no, because the other thing was bigger too. And I tweeted not long after this started happening that the clever suggestions on comments on what Optus should have done from recreational instant fucking cybersecurity experts are going to be unbearable, aren't they? And indeed, they already are. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to talk about this or not because it is kind of a rapidly unfolding story, but it does potentially affect up to 9.8 million Australians. That's that's the worst case figure, the number of people who uh, are or have been Optus uh, consumer customers since 2017. So a lot of people are thinking about this. It's going to be a big media story. And because well, I do report on this stuff when I'm not between mastheads as I am now and doing a bit of consulting instead, uh, I sort of know a bit about it. So I sort of know that a lot of what is being said so far, uh, not so much by Optus, but certainly by many of the commentators and, and instant fucking experts, is bullshit. And I want to say, like, this was announced on Thursday. It's only Saturday as I record this. We've only known for a bit over 48 hours that this was even a thing. It's not even clear what happened, let alone how things got to that point. And certainly it's way too early to know how everything got to this point or or certainly not to look at what structural changes might be needed at Optus and whether, you know, there were cultural problems or processes wrong. You know, even if we had all the details and all the expertise, which I, you know, certainly don't have either of them, it it takes weeks, even months, to kind of dig down and find out what happened. But I'm going to talk about it. And, and here's – and I will say – just I want to say thank you to uh, Cam McCartney uh, for suggesting on Twitter that we we use the hashtag Optus Shambles <laughs> for this in a callback to Omni Shambles from uh, uh, the Armando Iannucci uh, TV show The Thick of It, which is from years ago now. Good God. So what do we know so far? We know that Optus discovered the data breach on Wednesday that they shut things down, called the Australian Federal Police, called the Australian Cyber Security Centre, which is part of the Australian Signals Directorate, which is our international spy network, they call it. Good God. For those of you outside Australia, uh, the ASD is, well, in America it's the NSA, the National Security Agency, in Britain, GCHQ, and and their National Cyber Security Centre, so on and so forth. So they discovered it, they shut things down, they tried to work out what was going on and work out how they'll be in touch with people. And 24 hours later, 2 o'clock, Thursday afternoon, they issued the press release. And people have already been whinging, oh, why did you wait so long? Some cunt on Sky News was doing, this is so slow. It's like, really? You reckon you can figure out what you want to say and have your ducks in a row and your call centre staff briefed and ready to take all those calls? No, you're just some 
prick who sits in front of a camera on Sky News Australia and bleats, a bit like what I'm doing, except I actually know a bit about this subject. Anyway, then on Friday morning, there was a press conference with uh, Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin, who's the CEO of Optus, and she said all the usual things, that it's a sophisticated attack, they're always sophisticated attacks, uh, that the 9.8 million record figure in the media is the worst case. Uh, they believe it's a, quote, very small subset of that, but they don't know. Uh, the data affected dates back to 2017 because that's how long they are required to keep certain kinds of data. Uh, the data exposed is personal data, so relating to, to people, not to business customers, although many small businesses have that kind of personal account because they're a sole trader or whatever. And she did end the press conference by saying, and I quote, I am very sorry and apologetic this shouldn't have happened, which is true, but there you go. What we don't know is how the bad guys got into the system. Now, there is a story kicking around, uh, and the ABC cites a senior figure inside Optus who spoke to the ABC on a condition of anonymity. And they say it's still under investigation because, of course, it is. This sort of thing takes weeks. They reckon it appears to come down to human error. They, whoever they is, wanted to make integrating systems easier to satisfy uh, the two-factor authentication requirements that, that the industry watchdog now requires. And that involved opening up the Optus customer identity database to other systems uh, through an API, an application programming interface. And eventually, one of the this is this is now quote. Eventually, one of the networks it was exposed to was a test network which happened to have internet access. Now, Optus is saying that human error wasn't it. They're not saying that description isn't correct. They're saying that the words human error are incorrect. So we... We don't know. I've also seen some people tweet that they had this data on internet-facing servers, which is not what that says. Networks are complicated. So someone was setting up a test thing. It was connected to a network, and that was connected to a network, and that was connected to the internet. Now, whether there were supposed to be barriers between all those things, we don't know. When hackers get into a large company's network. They do what's called lateral movement, i.e. they hack one system and then from that system, that's effectively a beachhead from which they can attack another system and then another and so forth. So we don't know any of that yet. I will say that for the last decade or more, the average time the bad guys are in someone's network before they're discovered is measured in the order of weeks to months. Not hours to days, not days to weeks, but weeks to months. And not months to years. It's it's the mean is something, you know, like about four to six months or something. So it could well be that the bad guys were in the system for some time before they found this. Uh, test 
system with real data on it, which is a, a bit of an oopsie. You're meant to use test data. Well, in an ideal world when you're not on a deadline and all of that, and so they stumbled across it. We don't know how long between when that network or that server was discovered and this exfiltration of data was just, I mean, none of this has been discovered or worked out yet. So anyone who reckons they know what happened and what went wrong is a liar, except possibly someone within Optus who's leaking material that they don't know yet. To describe it as servers on the internet is certainly not accurate from that description. So, other things we don't know is why this data was kept in the form it is. What we do know is some of the data includes um, people's driver's licence numbers or passport numbers. They have to be checked by law when you're opening a mobile phone account in Australia. What's not clear is how long you then have to keep that data online. The law is complicated and messy, and when I say unclear, it's unclear to me. I also believe it to be unclear to lawyers uh, because different interpretations were floating around. One thing I will say is people who say, oh, they need to keep all this for anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing yours. That's the KYC stuff. Know your customer. Not directly under that because a telco is not a financial services industry. However, there's stuff under the Telecommunications Act, the Telecommunications Intercept and Access Act and data retention and things. And then the people say, oh, but that data is meant to be meant to be encrypted. And I say, yeah, but to use the data and look stuff up, it has to be decrypted. And if bad guys find a dashboard or a, an admin login or whatever, then, then they have access to the decryption tool. So we don't know. Short answer is we don't know. And anyone who's coming out with all of these, oh, well, you shouldn't have done this or is that, and you're full of it. You're absolutely full of it. I want to say a couple of more things very quickly, though. One is this idea of human error. A friend of the podcast, Justin Warren, you'll know him. He's one a few weeks ago. He's chair of Electronic Frontiers Australia. He runs his own consulting uh, business and things. He says there's no such thing as human error. There are only systems failures. It shouldn't be possible for a single human making a single mistake to cause this much damage. Brackets. I, I don't think it was a single human making a single mistake. Anyway, Justin says Optus's failure to put in place systems and processes to prevent this situation from happening isn't something any customer can control. The fault is Optus's and they must bear the consequences for their failure. I will take a very dim view of any manager at Optus trying to make some poor IT tech a scapegoat for management's failure to manage risk appropriately, particularly since Optus came out of the gate with a sophisticated attack line and we have numpties talking about advanced persistent threats and China and whatnot, which, yes, he's right. We, we, we don't know. It could be anywhere. Someone did remind us that if you think telcos having this kind of data is bad, you should see what real estate agents collect. And that is true. Anyone who has 
like applied to to rent a hovel in this overpriced market, those real estate agents collect all this data from people. They want bank statements. They want your accountant's name. They want your bank account numbers. They want your ID. They want to know who your employer is, all of this stuff. And real estate agents, of course, have uh, information security right up there with telcos and banks, don't they? I guess the plus side here is that no one who's ever worked in the real estate industry has ever turned out to be a criminal. So, so sleep soundly at night, people, and we'll find out more about this Optus thing um, in coming days. And through the magic of editing, it's now Sunday the 25th of September 2022, and the promised update on the Optus story. Someone has appeared online and is claiming to be the hacker who has the data. Uh, This uh, user on a certain uh, dark market uh, claims to have the information, uh, claims to have the data for 11.2 million users and has asked for a million dollars, American presumably, but in a cryptocurrency called Monero, which is a fairly well-established one. Uh, they've, they've, they've said something along the lines of, oh, we're sorry for the people involved, we just want money. Uh, uh, the Australian Federal Police, of course, Uh, There's an investigation underway. Jeremy Kirk, who's a a security uh, kind of analyst and uh, journalist, is uh, the person to follow on the Twitters about this. Uh, He's checked some of them out. They do correspond to real-world addresses. There's evidence that this is a new data breach and not someone kind of passing it off or passing off uh, an old one uh, in a scam. Uh, They're saying if Optus doesn't pay the money, they'll start, selling the data to other people. And, of course, if if Optus pays the million dollars, there's never a guarantee that the user would stick to the deal. Uh, That's a thing. So that's rapidly evolving. The other thing in uh, Jeremy Kirk's uh, story is the hacker said that this wasn't on an internal network. This was actually on a server exposed to the internet. So that rumour kicking around on the Saturday might well have been correct. It was. This is a bit I don't understand. The URL was apparently api.http colon slash thasoptus.com.au. Now, that that is not a valid URL as such, but apparently this was to get around something. I, I don't know what's going on there, so that's something to watch. Uh, clearly, over the next few days, we'll find out more. Uh, if that's the case, the idea that this was a sophisticated attack, which, as I said, everyone says, uh, remains to be seen. Meanwhile, uh, some other interesting news. Uh, uh, David Spears uh, at the ABC reckons the Home Affairs Minister is set to announce a suite of reforms in the wake of this security breach. Under the changes to be announced in the coming days, banks and other institutions would be informed far more swiftly when the data breach occurs. I, I don't know how you can get much faster than within the first 24 hours. I mean... You actually have to have enough information to be able to say something meaningful as opposed to, 
oh, we've had a data breach. We don't yet know what what is in it or who or how. I, I don't know. Uh, the real issue there, um, I think, and, and some other well, some other, some privacy experts are saying, is that we actually have laws about this, about the the proper protection of personal data, about erasing data that's no longer needed and so on and so forth. We just need to fund the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner so they've got enough money to act. Uh, I'm going to have to something about this in the coming days I can tell and over at the Guardian Josh Taylor has noted that uh, Optus has always been speaking out against things like a tort of privacy which would allow you and me to sue someone because our privacy was breached Uh, Optus uh, has said this this would cost a lot and there are technical challenges interesting (laughs) apparently it was too hard for them to to defend against privacy breaches That's, that's unfair any big organisation will lobby the government to not have to spend money. Well, that's all I know now, in addition to that. So you can ignore my my bits about, oh, it's probably on an internal network and hackers being there a while. Uh, a hacker who at this stage appears to be the one or part of a team is saying that's not the case. We shall see. And, and to all the people asking me on Twitter, like, what do you do next? It really depends on what's happened. But follow scamwatch.gov.au and uh, that's where any updated information uh, on what to do will be posted. Uh, And, of course, if you're an Optus customer, hang in there uh, for some messages from them. It's going to take a while to figure out exactly what's going on. So just chill. There's nothing really you can do at the moment anyway. Happy days. That's all the edict for now, a fairly non-shouty episode this time. All the credits, all the ways of supporting this podcast are at the9pmedict.com slash tip. The next episode will be with John Birmingham in a week's time. Get your input in by Friday lunchtime. Until then, I'm still Gerian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.